Hello and welcome to At First Glance, a podcast where we take a glance at movies, television, comics, anime, and let you know if it's worth a second. And I'm your host, Jeremy McKinley. And today we are going to do something, or I'm going to do something a little different. Today I'm going to do a double feature review of The Daily Wire's two new releases, Shut In and Hyperion's. The last film I talked about from these guys was the movie Run, Hide, Fight, a high school action thriller that came out early last year. And uh, while that movie uh, is under their umbrella, it was made long before they acquired it for distribution rights. However, the films I'm going to talk about today are the first fully developed from script to screen products produced by the company in totality. So let's start with Shut In. Directed by DJ Caruso and written by Melanie Toast, the film follows a young mother, played by Rainey Qualley, who's barricaded inside a pantry by her violent ex-boyfriend, played by Jake Horowitz. Unable to get out, she uses her ingenuity to protect her two small children from escalating danger while trying to escape. Now, I'm going to start off by saying I loves me a good bottle film, so this already had me on board with the premise, and I'm happy to report that this is a really solid thriller. The direction is great, and the cinematography is good, and at sometimes gorgeous, especially when we're in the pantry with Rainey, who, by the way, crushes it in this movie. I always applaud actors who are able to hold my attention for a long period of time in an enclosed space by themselves. Now, to be fair, the added element of endangered children really helped a lot and definitely gave me lots of stress. I mean, to be locked in a room knowing your children need your help and there's nothing you can do about it besides giving them directions and hope and praying to God that they follow those directions is a fear I've never felt but strongly empathized watching this film. Yeah, it's uh, it's it definitely had me hold my breath a couple times, and that's not to be hyperbolic. Uh, they use a lot of great sound design because we're in the uh, pantry with her whenever uh, the entire time she's in there. So everything we hear outside is just sound of people walking around the house. So we kind of have to use our imaginations, which in some ways is uh, even more frightening when you know that you have, like, for example, a pedophile walking around a house with two, you know, defenseless children and you're just, you know, fearing for their lives as this mom is trying to keep them safe while stuck in a room. So uh, great stuff there. Great work on there. They absolutely nailed that. Now, let's talk about the weaknesses. And I think there are only a few of them. Those weaknesses being the dialogue, which felt a bit too expository at times, and the ending, which wasn't bad, but just felt like a very quick closing of the curtain. I also think the ex's abusive side was a bit underdeveloped. Uh, the motivation made sense, but felt like a generic drug addict insecurity I've seen many times before. All in all, like I said at the start, this was a pretty solid thriller. The acting was very good by all. The visual storytelling and sound design were very well done. A little generic in the writing, and the ending was okay. But uh, all in all, I think this was pretty good. So I'm going to give this film an 8 out of 10. Moving on, we have Hyperion's, written and directed by John McDonald. The, the story of the film goes as follows. In 1960, Professor Ruckus Mandibulum, played by Carrie Yules, invented the Titan Badge, a device that enables humans to have a particular superpower. He, now, he took three down-on-their-luck youths, creating an unusual family of superheroes, and they quickly rose to fame and prestige. Over time, however, the commercial family fractured and, and the professor replaced them with a new set of superhero teens. Cut to 1979, when two of the original superheroes are all grown up and wanting their Titan badges back, even if this means robbing the professor's museum and taking a few hostages accidentally. Now, the first thing I want to talk about with this one is the style. It's like if... 
It's like if Wes Anderson did a superhero movie for Disney in 1964. From the costumes to the bright yellow color grading to the animated sections, this film was an absolute joy to watch. The comedy worked 90% of the time, and the action, while there being very little, was pretty cool. There's a particular scene that I don't want to spoil in any way, but just think Mary Poppins mixed with that opening Nightcrawler scene from X-Men 2. Um, other than that, the performances were all great. Uh, special shout-outs to Yules and Penelope Mitchell. Uh, this film is... I thought about this watching it because it was just so fresh. This movie is the blueprint of how to do something original in this day and age. Take familiar ingredients and mix them in a way we've never seen before. The key is to find the right balance of familiar and fresh, being that we've known, we've seen superhero movies before and we've seen old 60s Disney live-action movies like The Parent Trap or Mary Poppins. I don't think we've ever seen those two together, so I think it's always about trying to think about what you haven't seen crossed path and what you haven't seen blended before that captures that style well that blending well and then adds some substance to it because i know i've seen movies that like have a great visual blending but they don't seem to have a great idea for the story they just kind of think visuals and this movie seems to have captured both the visuals as well as the heart which i think is uh is which i think this movie does exceedingly well now i will say that the way they resolve things at the end is a bit of a cheat but i will only say that because we always expect a certain kind of ending from a superhero movie, and um, this movie at its heart is a father-daughter story, and it maintains that focus pretty well, which, you know, by the end, it hit me in the feels real good, and again, it's just more about expectations, because you expect something always, it can be a letdown if you don't get it at the end, and just for warning, you're not going to get what you necessarily think you want at the end, but if you focus on the story that it's trying to tell, I don't think, I, 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 I kind of take back that it's a cheat, but I, I definitely say that it's definitely, um, people will be disappointed. The audience is generally used to a kind of ending, and they kind of are revved up for it. And when you don't get it, uh, whether or not it was promised or not, expectations can still affect how you feel about a film. So with that, I will wrap this one up and give Hyperion's an 8.5 out of 10. That's three for three for The Daily Wire so far. So, uh I want to talk a little bit before I end this with uh, with movies that come from the conservative side, as well as Christian films. Um, they tend to have a hard time delivering the goods, which uh, is a, th- a thing, a pet peeve I have. Uh, with them generally prioritizing message over entertainment, stuff like God's Not Dead and War Room, they just tend to come across as propaganda crossed with a church service. And while I am a Christian myself, I really don't like being preached to in a movie unless it's Charlie Chaplin in The Great Dictator. So I'm really happy to see this rise in quality, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed that they got more good stuff coming down the pipe. So with that, I want to thank you for joining us at First Glance. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, and you can find us on Podbean. I'm Jeremy McKinley, and thank you for joining me.